Today's edition of the Derek Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Life Change Tea. Why go to GetTheTea.com? Because this important news could change your life. Socrates made a statement saying that all disease starts in the gut. Take care of your gut, and well, the rest speaks for itself. Life Change Tea is a wonderful way to aid in your digestion. Brew it, steep it, drink it, and feel it go to work. We at Life Change Tea have been around for years helping people just like you feel better. Lots of testimonials and lots of happy people. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. All righty. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 15th of March, 2022, the Ides of March. If you're Caesar, if you're named Caesar, if you think of yourself as a Caesar, I'm going to keep some distance between you and some people today. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. I appreciate the use of your ears. Colleen out there, who I announced yesterday, won uh, the uh, signed book at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Please go to your Patreon account. Check your messages. Kind of tough to find, but you can find them. You should have gotten an email notification. I need your address so I can send you the signed book can't you won you said in the post that you couldn't you got the ben carson book coming your way i just need to know how to send it to you osmosis doesn't work or you can just email me directly at uh, derek allen hunter at gmail.com go to patreon.com slash derek hunter podcast that's where you enter to win this week's contest between uh, john cleese and matt walsh whose autographed book will be won this week you have to you got to play to win. You got to sign up to find out. That's where you get the week in F and review as well and all of that stuff. So go there, check it out. That's where the, the sites, the show's community is. Also, don't forget about Life Change Tea. You heard the opening there. It's the tea that changes your life. It keeps you regular, keeps everything flowing. It cleans you out better than just going. And uh, then when you're cleaned out, that gives your body the freedom, the ability to absorb more of the nutrition from the food you consume. Now, even the bad food has nutrition in it. You need to suck all the, the nutrition out of it that you can get your hands on or your body parts on. Go to getthetea.com, enter promo code Derek at checkout for whatever you get. Check out all the great products they have there. Enter promo code Derek at checkout, click apply. You get free, fast shipping on top of everything else. Win, 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 win. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast and getthetea.com. Okay, let's start the show. There is a lot going on in the world, of course. Anytime you uh, turn off the news, Turn it back on. You go, oh, my goodness, what happened here? And everything happens here. I, I will point out, we got a lot of snow. I don't know where, it, how it snowed where you lived or if it snowed where you lived. But we got eh, four to four or five inches puffy stuff that by the end of the day had started to get thinner. And if you know how snow works, melts and then it compacts. And now it's... It's still there. It's where the sun hasn't hit yet. <laughs> if somebody tells you to stick it where the sun doesn't shine, tell me to stick it where the sun doesn't shine. I can look around now and see where the sun doesn't shine, and I'll know where to stick it. It's nowhere on my body, but it is around my neighborhood. But it was good. We got to go sledding with the kids and uh, get cold, and then that was enough. That was enough. Anyway, there is a lot going on in the world. Hope you had a great weekend because the week... 
it's the week ahead is going to be crazy. The week ahead is going to be everything you uh, you probably don't need, you don't want. Um, we got Ukraine updates. We got Tom Tom Brady. Can we just like honestly, Tom? It's enough already. It's enough. Just let it go. Uh, but no, Tom Brady's coming back because why? Because why not? Colin Kaepernick desperately wants to come back. He uh, apparently is the only person in history who's just clamoring to be a slave. I don't know. He called, he's the one who called the NFL players and the combine and the, the process that the players. He, called, he compared it to slavery. And so why are you doing this? About five years on. Because who else? what else is he going to do with himself? You can only be an angry D-bag, you know, so many hours of the day. The problem is, and it's funny, we'll get into this more. He, he posted a video of himself still working out, and he's in the middle of a football field alone, takes his, a three-step drop, runs to his right. Nobody's chasing him. Nobody's doing anything. Runs to his right and throws a pass. You can't see where the pass goes. You don't know if anybody's out there or anything. If he hit the target, you got to assume that nobody is or else they had to set the camera up behind him so they could say, uh, I don't know, complete the pass. But he's like, yeah, no, I'm ready. I'm still working out. I'm ready to go. And it's like, dude, I could do that. I could do a quick three-step drop and then shuffle to my right and throw a football, especially if there's no uh, counting as to whether or not it was a completed pass to anybody. And there's zero rush. Anybody could do that. And maybe that's why you're, if you'd worked half this hard while you were a player, maybe, just maybe, you'd still be a player. You know, you were pretty good for a couple of years. Pretty good, not great. And then you, uh, you started to suck. You got benched by the San Francisco 49ers. You got benched by the 49ers. And then nobody wanted you. Because you're toxic in the dressing room. And toxic on the field. You couldn't win a game. Nobody's had more chances than you. My God. Anyway, uh, I want to talk. <laughs> We're talking. It's a cheery subject. You know, first thing in the morning, who doesn't want to hear about nuclear war if you're a subscriber to The Atlantic? In the afternoon, who doesn't want to hear about nuclear war? The Atlantic, of course, and writing about, and this is one of those things. I saw a story yesterday that iodine tablets are in short supply in the United, really around the world right now. People are, and you're saying they're going to iodine tablets. Yeah, iodine tablets. They help the uh, liver. They protect the liver as it filters out radiation or something like that. I don't know how it works, but if somebody's been exposed to radiation, they give them iodine tablets. It is not a cure-all. If you're exposed to too much radiation, it's not going to help you, but it's still, it's one of the few things we have for it. It's funny because when I was a kid, iodine was, we had this thing, I don't know, it had to have been from the 40s or 50s. This little bottle, glass bottle of iodine. So when you had a cut, what we were told to do, and we did this to ourselves, this was the torture of it. You had a, I'm looking and I got a cut on my finger, I had a, cuts all over my hands right now. I had a cut on my finger. What you'd do is you'd go wash your hands. You're told, wash your hands and then put some hydrogen peroxide on it. You just take the hydrogen peroxide and dump it on there. It bubbles and foams. If you're really feeling the need, if it was particularly something filthy that cut you, you'd, you'd dump some, uh, some alcohol on it. But peroxide was usually enough. And then you took this little bottle of, 
I think it was iodine. It's red. And you uh, had a glass dropper in it that didn't have a, a squeezy thing at the top. So it just kind of little bits of the red went in there. And you had to, like, paint your your cut with this stuff. And it was just red and your finger was red. Um, and that was supposedly to keep out more thing. I don't know exactly what it was, but that was what I did every time I like had a big cut on my hands, which was seemingly a lot. You think I'd have played with a lot of knives as a kid, but I did not. Uh, but now iodine's a tablet, and uh, the uh, situation with Ukraine and the saber rattling by Vladimir Putin has apparently a whole bunch of people all around the world buying up all the iodine tablets they can get their hands on. Now, you, according to Amazon, you can get some next week or late this week it's not it's just um the backlog is something but if you're worried at all about the ukraine situation going nuclear don't don't because the good folks at the atlantic have something much worse than that and yes you you know you want to get some iodine tablets so you can live through uh, nuclear fallout or whatever but uh, would you really want to would you really want to? Here's the Atlantic headline. <laughs> On top of everything else, nuclear war would be a climate problem. You think? You think a nuclear war might be a climate problem? <laughs> Even a minor skirmish would wreck the planet. Yeah, no kidding. This is something somebody called Robinson Meyer. I don't know who Robinson Meyer is. I've never heard of them before, and I will, uh, I assume it's a dude. I suppose I'll have to, every time I hear the name Robinson Meyer, will now have to think this person is a moron. When we talk about what causes climate change, we usually talk about oil and gas, coal and cars, and just generally energy policy. There's a good reason for this. Burning fossil fuels releases carbon dioxide, which enters the atmosphere, warms the climate, and you know the drill. The more fossil fuels you burn, the worse climate change gets. Can't uh, point to anything that proves that, but when you're in a liberal bubble, you just reiterate the gospel, right? That's why a couple of years ago, I spent a lot of time covering the Trump administration's attempts to waken the country's fuel or weaken the country's fuel economy standards. It was an awful policy, one that would have led to more oil consumption for decades to come. If pressed, I would have said that it had a single digit percent chance of creating an uninhabitable climate system. But energy is not the only domain that has a direct bearing on whether we have a livable climate or not. So does foreign policy, specifically nuclear war. This is one of those times where you just sit there and you wish you could swear. Because this is this is a no feces Sherlock moment. Nuclear war might nuclear war might be good. It might cramp your weekend plans. Nuclear war might uh, might be a little bit of a, a hindrance on your next school board meeting. Whatever it is you care about, nuclear war is going to mess it up a little bit. Just so you know, I hope I hope you're sitting down when I break this news to you. Since Russia invaded Ukraine two weeks ago, Robinson writes, that threat has become a lot more real. Many Americans, including artists, 
<laughs> well, if artists are concerned, holy cow, stop the press. Including artists, climate-concerned progressives, and even a few lawmakers have come out in support of a no-fly zone. But despite the euphemistic name, a no-fly zone means that NATO and the United Nations issue a credible threat that they will shoot down any enemy plane in Ukrainian territory. Is this, is Robinson a 15-year-old? Maybe, maybe Robinson is a 15-year-old. This would require U.S. bombing runs into Russian territory to eliminate air defenses, bringing the U.S. and Russia into open war. This, uh, I mean this quite literally, if you are worried about rapid catastrophic changes to the planet's climate, then you must be worried about nuclear war. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. This is what the left spends their time working on, thinking on. People get paid for this sort of stuff. I want to read that again just because that last sentence is absolutely hilarious. That somebody thinks, well, nobody's ever thought of this before. Somebody needs to put this out into the ether, lest people not be aware. I had to look this up. Robinson Meyer is a staff writer at The Atlantic. He is author of the newsletter The Weekly Planet and co-founder of of the COVID tracking project at the Atlantic. Right, just sounds like a barrel of dead monkeys, doesn't he? Just sounds like a, just a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm going to read this again. I mean this quite literally. If you are worried about rapid catastrophic changes to the planet's climate, then you must be worried about nuclear war. Well, uh, if you're not at all worried about rapid... Um, climate change you should probably still have just a little bit of concern about nuclear war too i'm just saying if if you have a laissez-faire attitude towards towards uh catastrophic changes i love the way he frames it catastrophic changes catastrophic has uh, some negative connotations to it dramatic changes wouldn't be it's less than catastrophic but if you're just worried about you know rapid dramatic changes to the climate See, I'm not. I, the climate doesn't change dramatically quickly. But I'm also not worried about warming because I am familiar with the medieval warm period and understand that uh, it's a pretty damn good time for humans. Now, it's here we are in the middle of March and we've got on the eastern seaboard, we've got and across the country, really, most of the rest of the country, the Midwest anyway, and east, we got a lot of snow. Over the, la over the weekend. Now, most of it's gone because it's going to be in the 50s and 60s and even 70s uh, this week, but it's already been in the 50s, so it's, it's going away. Uh, but I know that longer, warmer planets, warmer times for the planet, just look it up for yourself, the medieval warm period, means longer growing seasons, mean better growing seasons, which means abundant food. Actually, the medieval warm period was one of the better periods in human history. I encourage you to look it up. Then all the other times in human history, because food was plentiful. People do better when the planet is warmer. You don't want the planet to be on fire by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that a nuclear war would probably constitute being on fire and maybe just a little bit too much of a good thing. But the slight change in, in global temperatures, as the left loves to talk about, I think is a pretty good thing for humanity. 
Now, the left knows this. They just don't like humanity. That's their problem. They, they look at this planet and they think this would be a great place to live if it wasn't for those damned humans. It's just like uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was Clerks. There's a line in there that the guy who works in the video store says, this job would be great if it weren't for the bleeping customers. Well, of course, the only reason there is a job is because of the customers. But this planet would be great if it weren't for the humans. Now, there'd still be a planet. I don't know where these leftists think they would live if all human life was wiped out of it. But there'd still be a planet and they'd be content knowing what? That uh, life went on, the little baby deers and bears and lions and the animals could all just sit around and starve to death or eat each other or whatever the hell it that's just sounds like utopia doesn't it that's apparently something that occupies the time the people over at the atlantic Can you imagine losing sleep over this garbage <laughs> i mean this quite literally if you are worried about rapid catastrophic changes to the planet's climate then you must be worried about nuclear war uh, I'm not worried about those other things, but I am a little bit concerned about nuclear war. That is because on top of killing tens of millions of people, I love the way he glosses over that, on top of killing tens of millions of people, even a relatively minor exchange of nuclear weapons would wreck the planet's climate in enormous and long-lasting ways. When I tell you that to the left, individuals are disposable, human beings are disposable, they're irrelevant, they're trash, they mean nothing. This is what I mean. He glosses over the massive loss of human life, include, up to and including the possible stamping out of all human life. But if you put that aside, the planet might be Mother Earth, Gia, could be damaged too. Who would be around if... If there are no human beings left, who shall hug the trees? And if the trees are wiped out, how does anybody hug? Consider a one megaton nuke, reportedly the size of a warhead of a modern Russian intercontinental ballistic missile, a detonation of a bomb that size within about four, a four-mile radius would produce winds equal to those of a Category 5 hurricane immediately flattening buildings, knocking down power lines, and triggering gas leaks. Anyone within seven miles of the detonation would suffer third-degree burns, the kind that sear and blister flesh. These conditions, the, uh, and note that I have left out the organ-destroying effects of radiation, while wow, you're a hero, would rapidly turn an eight-mile blast radius into a zone of total human misery. But only at this moment of the war do the climate consequences truly begin. <laughs> yeah, as your flesh is falling from your body, take a moment before you die in excruciating pain to think about the small woodland creatures who might... <laughs> and how, how the uh, rise in global temperatures might impact them from your stupid little nuclear war, you jerk. This, uh, this Atlantic article might be my favorite thing ever written in the English language. I just I can't get over Consider it one ton, megaton, but this is how, boy, this would be really bad for the planet, that nuclear war thing. Not that it could kill, that it would kill a whole bunch of people and killing people is wrong. It's that, you know, if you guys want to nuke each other, that's fine. The fewer human beings on the planet, the better off it is for the planet, according to these lunatics. But 
kill each other in a way that preserves the planet. A, the hot, dry hurricane force winds that would act like a supercharged version of California's Santa Anna, Santa Ana winds, uh, which have triggered some of the state's worst wildfires. Even in a small war, that would happen at dozens of places around the planet, igniting urban and wildland forest fires as large as uh, as large as small states. A 2007 study estimated that if 100 small nuclear weapons were detonated, a number equal to only 0.03% of the planet's total arsenal, the number of direct fatalities due to fire and smoke would be comparable to those worldwide in World War II. Towering clouds would carry more than 5 megatons of soot and ash from those fires, into the atmosphere. Wow, another no S Sherlock moment where, you know, setting the planet on fire might not be a good thing. But forgive me if I don't immediately think of how Thumper and Bambi are going to uh, handle this. And uh, I would also, if you notice, anything that breathes would be impacted by this. It, it doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to care about that. He, he doesn't actually care about life. It is literally about the planet. You look at a tree, and that's it. These are the sorts of people who go and live in trees and spike trees to try and kill anybody, any lumberjacks out there. They go out there, and they try and sabotage things because why? Because they're, they're insane. There's something fundamentally wrong with these people who look at the environment and go, I care more about that than human beings. You can't ignore it. I'm not somebody who have said a thousand times advocates for taking a big barrel of mercury and dumping it in the drinking water or just willy-nilly setting the woods on fire because why not? That's basically California's policy. They don't they don't clean up the underbrush. They just let the kindling sit there and then they go, oh my goodness, these wildfires are worse than they've ever been. Yeah, because in the last 10 or 20 years, you idiots who've been in charge have said, don't take any precautions against wildfires because that would be upsetting the natural order of things. Well, actually it would be. The natural order of things is for stuff to burn. Let's be honest. Long before human beings were out there living in multi-million dollar estates in California, California was burning. California, actually, if you really want to be technical, Southern California, the Los Angeles area is a desert. And they sit there and they go, there's a drought out in California. Like, it's a desert. That's, that's what they do. That you've irrigated the place to the point that you can plant grass and have some greenery out there is false and fake. It's a desert. Now, theoretically, it's a testament to the greatness of human beings to overcome their environment. But if you really want to give a damn about it, get rid of all the water and just live off of whatever it is that falls from the sky and see how that works out for you. You'd certainly depopulate Los Angeles pretty quickly. Either people would move or they'd die. But California, it's an ecological disaster, man-made ecological disaster. No, if it rains, there's a mudslide. If it doesn't rain, which you know happens a lot of the time in arid desert areas, uh, then the uh, stuff burns. Pretty simple. If you don't clean out the underbrush, even in areas where it does rain, where it's not a desert, if you don't clean out the underbrush, 
you're going to have a fire sooner or later because lightning will strike and all of that kindling will go up in smoke and flames. And it'll catch trees on fire and it will burn multi-million dollar estates. And you sit there and you go, I built a, my dream mansion in the middle of the woods and now it's under threat from forest fire. Well, yeah, you, not too many people in Watts are under threat of forest fire, right? Can we just agree to that? I think that uh, it not being in a forest is a big contributor to its safety from forest fire. Just like if you don't build a house on stilts or near a cliff, the odds of you being impacted by a mudslide are minimal. Minimal. If you build your house on a relatively flat area where there is no bunch of dirt above you or below you that you're sitting on it is uneven ground that you could slide down i think your odds of of dealing with a mudslide are pretty slim pretty slim it's where you know a, a bum urinates in the in the woods and it's a mudslide somebody flicks a cigarette butt out of a car and it's a wildfire maybe you should look at things because you know in the 50s and 60s people did those things and it wasn't a disaster every single time like it is now it's not because the climate has changed it's because the policies have changed the policies have changed no you can't have any controlled burns no you can't have any cleanup out in the woods that would upset the natural order of things well all right fine the natural order of things is burning the natural order of things is mudslides. The natural order of things is floods. You don't get to go around and say, don't do anything to mitigate these things because you're messing with nature. And oh, by the way, nature is king. By the way, human beings are a part of nature, theoretically. You know, if, uh, if a lion tackles an antelope in the middle of the Serengeti and eats it right there on film, you go, oh, it's uh, just a beauty of nature. Well, we're a part of nature too. So what we do, theoretically, is natural, is it not? Still, I'm not saying take a barrel of mercury down to the drinking water uh, or drop nuclear bombs because what the hell. I'm just saying that we are a part of nature. And I'm pointing out the absurdity that the left takes these things to because they're nuts. Nuclear war and the Atlantic is going... All this carbon would transform the climate, shielding it from the sun's heat. Within months, the planet's average temperature would fall by more than two degrees Fahrenheit. Hey, isn't that what we want? Maybe we should have a nuclear war because we're all like, oh, if the planet warms by two degrees, it's horrible and we're all going to die. So maybe a little nuclear war every once. No, no. <clears throat> Some amount of this cooling would persist for more than a decade. These are the people, by the way, who cheer the idea of Bill Gates, like seeding the clouds with the, the upper atmosphere with things to reflect away the sun's rays. They're like, oh, this, the planet is warming. If we deflect some of the sun's rays, it'll be great. And you've got this pervert billionaire who is paying for this. Nobody's asking him. He didn't ask anybody for permission. He hadn't got a government to permit or anything like that they just said i've got the money i'm gonna go do this and these leftists are relatively silent about it uh but far from reversing climate change this cooling would be destabilizing what 
It would reduce global precipitation by about 10%, including global drought conditions. In parts of North America and Europe, the growing season would shorten by 10 to 20 days. Yeah, cooling means shorter growing seasons. Take a look at the tiny ice age while you're looking up the medieval warm period. I cite these all the time. I cited them in my book. I highly recommend you look them up for yourself so you know what the hell these people are talking about. And then, well, actually, they don't want you. They, it's, it's hard. They do their best to bury the truth about the medieval warm period and the tiny ice age. But they, they're out there. The truth is out there. This would prompt a global food crisis the world hasn't seen in modern times. Modern times involves like the Ethiopian family, whatever. Corn, wheat, and soybean yields would all decline by more than 11% over five years. In a slightly larger conflict involving, say, 250 of the world's 13,080 nuclear weapons, the oceans would become less bountiful. The photosynthesizing plankton that forms the basis of the marine food chain would become 5 to 15% less productive. In the case of the U.S.-Russia war, fishers worldwide would see their catches decline by nearly 30%. This actually is a perfect example of what is wrong with science these days. So much of what passes for science... It, I'm not saying don't study these things or whatever, but they don't know. They don't know. These are all predictions about a future that hopefully will never come to pass. Somebody's paid a lot of money and gets likely lots of money in government grants to study things that haven't happened, that hopefully will never happen. And if they do happen, uh, we're all dead anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So, But, but they're studying this. They're studying this. And it's... It's best guess work. Now, you can say, hey, Derek, you know, these best guess, they, these, they, these people know what they're talking about. Mm -mm. No, they don't. No, they don't. Take a look at the last 40 years of 10-year predictions about climate. Well, about originally the coming ice age in the 70s. And then when that didn't pan out, in the 1970s, they were talking about putting soot all over the polar ice caps to prevent them from advancing, to try to melt them because we were told there was a coming ice age. Was, yeah, that was the scientific consensus. It was fact. When that didn't pan out, when the glaciers refused to advance, it became global warming. Now, it's weird. It was the exact opposite of what they'd been telling us in the 1970s, but the solutions were precisely the same. Socialism. If you see that and you go, wait, the problem is 180 degrees in the other direction, but the solution is exactly the same, you might begin to think that maybe it's not really a problem. It's just politics. But no, that would be too much. That would be too mean to even suggest. But then when the global warming didn't pan out because we had 15 years without really any significant advance in temperatures, it just became the catch-all climate change. Well, climate has always changed. It's rather arrogant to think that a species that really only has 150 years worth of 
semi-data, really only about 50 years worth of reliable data, atmospheric data, that those people somehow can extrapolate throughout all of human history and all of Earth's history what should be the temperature, what the climate should be like. Can't. It's wrong. It's asinine. It's stupid. But people are getting rich off of it. Politicians are getting power off of it. And uh, some D-bag at the Atlantic gets to write uh, fantasy porn about nuclear war and how it would impact the climate. It is the new religion. It absolutely is a leap of faith. It is... Uh, it's a cult, is what it is. It's a dangerous, deadly cult because it's a doomsday cult. Eventually, people are going to try to bring about the uh, catastrophic death of a lot of people. If you start blaming people for everything that's wrong on the planet, there's going to be some lunatic who goes, well, we have to get rid of a bunch of people. It's kind of the premise of uh, the first Kingsman movie, but uh, worse it's real and it doesn't involve Samuel L. Jackson. I keep thinking, I'm just having this thought now. Why? Because I'm looking at a methylate thing on the thing and the pictures of the stuff that we had in our medicine cabinet. And we, I grew up at a time when I don't remember expiration dates. I don't remember any of that stuff. Certainly my mother never went through the cabinets and said, oh, this is uh, expired or whatever. Did... did in the 80s, did milk have an expiration? The way that you knew milk was bad is it smelled. Right? That was it. This smells bad. All right, well, pour it out. Go get another one from the garage. That was it. It wasn't uh, <laughs> sitting there going, well, this is past the sell-by date. Well, I don't care if it's past the sell-by. I secretly, when uh, we were in the process of moving, the wife was already at the new house and we had some milk. And it was, it was like 10 days past the sell-by date. So I opened it up and I smelled it and it smelled fine. And I took a sip and it tasted fine. And I enjoyed a nice glass of it with my dinner because that's the way that it works. It's like it's a sell-by date. It doesn't suddenly go bad. It doesn't start to curdle that day. But all the medicine in the medicine cabinet, it was like a pharmacy from the 1920s when I was growing up. Go ahead, put what you need, the little vat of leeches in case you needed a good bleeding, all this stuff. It's like, what the hell? Now that I think about it, because uh, I, I looked in for, I had to get, uh, what did I have? I had to get some vapor rub. The girls are kind of snotted up. So I had to get some vapor rub out of the medicine cabinet last night. And it's like a whole shelf of various Band-Aids with uh, in case they're in a Peppa Pig mood or a PJ Mask mood or a whatever a Disney princess mood for when they get a cut or a scrape or something. And you got to be able to not only treat the injury, but treat the uh, desire to be, you know, how the, the injury must be treated. It's also kind of scrap, scratch. So there you go. And it's like we never had, I never, I don't remember a Band-Aid. When I was, I remember band-aids existing, and I remember when cloth band-aids came out. That was a huge advance because it could flex on your finger. But I put a band-aid on while I was actively bleeding. Once it scabbed up, it was off. You needed the air. It was always, you got to let the air get to it in order to uh, to let it heal. That was kind of how it was. That was rub some dirt on it kind of attitude. I don't know. I mean, we lived through it, so... 
we couldn't have been all that wrong. But I don't know if it was right or wrong. I just know that uh, there's, it's gone exactly 180 degrees to the extreme in the other direction these days. There, I don't know. I'm gonna try to stop thinking about the medicine cabinet when I was a child. Now I'm gonna try. No promises. Okay, I want to shift gears here to talk about not less about my medicine cabinet and, and global thermal nuclear war, and more about the sadly the people that are in charge of this country at the moment. It is. Um, I don't being vice president probably isn't the most exciting job in the world, right? You're sitting around, you basically attend funerals. At least that's how it used to be. Now the vice president gets more things to do, has more influence, or so we're told. We don't really know how much that is actually true. We were told that Joe Biden had a lot of uh, say and sway while he was vice president with Barack Obama. It seems highly unlikely considering that Barack Obama pointed out that uh, you never want to underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up, right? Uh, Dick Cheney was the real president because George W. Bush couldn't even tie his shoes or so we were told. Al Gore, Al Gore didn't do anything. Nobody trusted Al Gore. You can't blame Bill Clinton for that. Bill Clinton knows people you shouldn't trust. But uh, then Pence and Trump... Eh, it didn't seem like Mike Pence was all that involved. He may well have been. It just didn't seem like it. With Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, you think, God, you know, if you think Barack Obama's an idiot, at least you got Joe Biden. No, no, no. If you think Joe Biden's an idiot, at least you got Barack Obama. No, no, there wasn't a real winner there. There isn't a real winner here with Harris and Biden. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking about their media images. They're both super geniuses if you just go by their media images. But if you go by the things that they say, if you go by the words that come out of their mouths and the actions that they try to implement, you think these people are actively trying to destroy the United States of America. You'd have to ask, what would you do differently if you were trying to, in fact, destroy the United States of America? Kamala Harris was in Romania. She was in Poland the other day. I played you the audio of her laughing again at a question about genocide and, and refugees because she's just bad, bad at politics. I don't know how, well, I do know how she got into politics. She must be very good at that, but she's bad at actually doing politics. So she's over there in Romania this time. Talking to the, she's at a pre, joint press conference with the president of Romania. And I have to remind you again of that Politico story that said that she is not over there in really any official capacity except as an emblem and an emissary. Read this, this paragraph. But administration officials say she's not there to make any deals, whether it be on humanitarian aid or the transfer of military equipment. Instead, her role is to serve as an emissary and an emblem of the administration's commitment to the country and the transatlantic alliance more broadly. That was it. That was her whole job. She has no power whatsoever. But for some reason, they scheduled press conferences in all these countries. And you're sitting there going, why would you, why would you put somebody this politically incompetent in front of cameras where they're asking questions? But, you know, Kamala Harris... Part of the problem with being a Democrat, 
for Democrats. And I can say this because I had no risk of them really going, oh, my God, he's right. And we've got to change the way we do things. But part of the problem with Democrats who are really bad at politics is nobody's going to tell them. Nobody's they're going to be so covered up for the press does such a thorough job of deflecting on behalf of Joe Biden, the criticisms, the pointing out of things that when Joe Biden is asked like, Hey, you know, a pretty significant portion of even Democrats think you're kind of crazy dude. And they want to see some uh, cognitive test results. Joe Biden will be so taken aback by even the concept of what, what me, what are you talking about? Everybody I talk to on a daily basis reminds me of how smart I am. That's the kind of world that they create. I read the New York Times this morning and there was not a single mention of any doubt whatsoever about my mental capacity. Yeah, that's kind of the problem, Joe. You can create this bubble, this little insulated world and live in it thoroughly and completely forever in perpetuity if you're a Democrat and never understand what the rest of the country is thinking, or really sometimes in Joe's case when it comes to the senility of what his body, his mind, his brain is actually going through. We'll get to Joe in a second on that, but Kamala is kind of like that, too. They're all like that to one degree or another. The only way for a Democrat to really get harshly criticized or even have reported what critics are saying about them in the media uh, is for them to vote with a Republican. Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Sinema have no doubt whatsoever about their character flaws. They are reminded of them constantly by the leftists out there. Well, <clears throat> at a press conference in Romania, Kamala Harris was asked a very specific question. You'll hear the very specific question and you'll hear that it was addressed to her, directly to her. And she ignores it. She first, you're going to hear in the middle of this, a moment of silence where she's standing at the podium with the president of Romania. And she looks at him like, do you want to take this one? Well, it's clearly a, 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 it's a question about gas prices in the United States of America and how long the American public are expected to, to put up with high gas prices. And why the hell would the president of Romania have any thoughts on this, have an answer for this, give a damn about this whatsoever? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. But <laughs> she turns to him like, do you want to handle this? And he looks at her like, what the hell? No, I don't know. What? And then she goes off and, you know, usually when somebody doesn't want to answer a question, they'll at least pay lip service to it. They'll at least pay lip service to the concept as then they go off on a tangent or whatever, that there's somehow some kind of relation to it. Kamala's answer has zero, zero to do with the subject at hand. She does not know. She doesn't care or whatever. I mean, she's vice president of the United States. She does not have to pay gas prices. She doesn't have to stop at red lights. She doesn't have to worry about anything. She doesn't know what the hell's going on. She, does, she was also rich. Her and her husband are rich. So she wasn't impacted by this to begin with. Difference is when she's no longer vice president, the vice president 
they don't keep Secret Service details with them forever like the president does. So they'll learn. She'll learn. She'll have to drive again. Former presidents don't have to drive. But former vice presidents, they get about six months worth of protection. And that's about it. Anyway, listen to this exchange because it is, it's it's telling about this administration and this vice president, to put it mildly. If I can ask you, Madam Vice President, President Biden has said that Americans will feel some pain for the sake of defending freedom and liberty, but there does seem to be no end game in sight. How long should Americans expect, how long should we be bracing for um, this really sort of um, historic inflation and some unprecedented gas prices? Sure. In terms of uh, the discussions that the President, Johannes, and I had, uh, they ranged in subject, including the issue of the Black Sea, and I'll let him explain in more detail as he would like. Uh, but we are, again, fully aware and apprised because we are in constant communication with the President, with his administration here about the concerns that they have about the entire region and, frankly, the vulnerability. All you have to do is look at the map. All you got to do is look at the map. Uh, what map? What map? Will it tell me where your head is? Is it firmly up your own rear end? What in the hell are you talking about? Let me ask you, Madam Vice President, about gas prices. And the president says we're going to have to get used to these for a while. How long do you expect the American people to, uh, well, I don't know, we'll have to look at the map. What, what ga the Gas Buddy app? Should we pull that out and maybe, is that what you're saying? Are you speaking in code? Are you speaking in tongues? Or are you addressing tangentially a question that was not addressed to you by the president of Romania? in the hopes that nobody notices that for all the prep work you've done, according to Politico, you are wildly unprepared for what you're doing. I mean, you almost, if she weren't such a horrible person, you'd be embarrassed for her. It's that kind of thing. Then we come to our president. I told you it's, a, it's a, like a woke-off, a stupid-off. President of the United States Democrats had their retreat over the weekend up in Philadelphia where they had the drag queen come in and perform and they had all just like show me you're an out of touch elitist leftist without telling me you're an out of touch elitist leftist. And that's what the Democrats did this weekend. Joe went up there and he gave a speech that uh, was a thing of beauty for the way that it fertilized. the. It's going to be a great growing season in Philadelphia because Joe Biden crop dusted that thing with a whole bunch of manure. And so even through sidewalk cracks, anything should grow quite well. He wants credit for lowering the deficit. He wants, uh, say that again, Joe Biden wants credit for lowering the deficit. We, the Democrats, while the economy grew, we're on track right now. I'm on track to be the first president in history to lower the deficit by over $1 trillion in one year. So I'm sick of this stuff. We have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. I don't think we need any lectures from our friends on the other side about fiscal responsibility, for God's sake. 
No, we don't need any lectures from Republicans about fiscal responsibility. What we really need is to pass a $5 trillion Build Back Better piece of legislation. That's what we need. That's the only, it's simply not true that it doesn't, government spending, it's, it is government spending. It's not necessarily government spending, Joe, in that if the money existed and government had it through the normal collection of taxation, that that would be, I suppose, theoretically fine. The problem is not the government spending, it's the printing of money, the creating of money out of nothing to meet the demands of government spending. Therein lies the inflationary aspect of it, Joe. If we had an economy of $100 trillion and we were spending $6 trillion and we had $6 trillion to spend, then there would be no inflation. There would be no inflation from that. The problem is that we have a $20 trillion economy and we are spending $5 trillion and we're $6 trillion and we're borrowing money and we borrowed all the money we possibly can. We owe $30 trillion. And then we said, oh, okay, we're going to just, let's spend more. Let's spend more. How do you spend more? There's no more to get. You can't, well, we're not going to raise taxes on a whole bunch of people where all the money is. So what we're going to do is we're just going to create it. Now there's quantitative easing. We've got about a decade or more of quantitative easing underway. Quantitative easing is the Federal Reserve printing money. They're basically, it's the Treasury Department buying its own debt. It's like paying off a credit card with a credit card, not even a balance transfer where you at least get the benefits of a lower interest rate for a time. It is not that. So eventually, yes, you're creating more money to pay off your bills. And eventually that has inflationary impacts. Are you solely responsible for inflation, Joe Biden? No, but you've been actually you've been in government long enough that maybe you are certainly more so than other people, because as a senator for decades, you did nothing to curb government spending then as vice president you oversaw massive government spending and now as president you have overseen massive government spending so in that sense you are responsible but in the other part of that whopper was i've cut the deficit by more than a trillion dollars that's really easy to claim and technically in the most technical sense it's semi-accurate. Why? Because the government set a huge pile of money on fire last year um, on Donald Trump's last fiscal year as president, but on Joe Biden's watch and on Donald Trump's watch to stave off the economic collapse of COVID shutdowns. So naturally that spending wouldn't necessarily need to go on forever. And thank God they aren't doing it forever. So that if you spend a trillion dollars in emergency money, the next year you don't spend that trillion dollars. You didn't, you don't get credit for cutting anything. You simply didn't spend it again, which considering what Obama did with the stimulus money when he was first president is a change. I just want to put a little bit more of a, into the the Joe Biden claim that oh my goodness he's uh, 
He's cut the deficit. And he wants credit for that. There's a difference between the deficit and the debt. The debt has gone up exponentially under Joe Biden. The deficit is measured by year. Now, these words are often used interchangeably, and it's done so to confuse people. You throw or toss a word salad in the hopes that people won't really catch on with what's going on, and so you can continue to get away with your normal BS. The national debt and the budget deficit are two different things, but linked, related. The debt is the sum total of all of the deficits. The deficit is each individual year's amount that is added to the debt, if that makes sense. So you can say, well, we added uh, $3 trillion last year to the national debt. That was our deficit, $3 trillion last year. And this year, we're only adding $2 trillion to the debt. We're on a $2 trillion deficit. Therefore, we have cut the deficit by a third. And you think, oh, well, they've cut it. They're actually cutting it. They're reducing the deficit. And they're hoping you think that you're reducing the debt. And you're not. You're not. Uh, but you also have to remember that you have emergency spending. Emergency spending that is not part of the budgetary process, but does count in the uh, fiscal year wrap up the way government look if you kept your books for your business the way that the government does you'd be in jail you would be sitting there right next to jesse smollett probably on suicide watch as well but uh you don't the government doesn't have to worry about such things because they're the ones who create these rules they can do whatever the hell they want it's a beautiful thing power well um if you think back to barack obama's first year in office it's January 2009. We're told we're in a massive recession. We're told we're in the worst recession since the Great Depression. We're all going to die, essentially, unless the Democrats are able to ram through their spending bill, the stimulus bill. Remember the stimulus bill? It was like $900 billion. It's such a quaint number now. It seems almost funny. It's like the good old days. Oh, well, back when we'd only spend $800 billion, $900 billion on, uh, on stimulus, if only. Well, that went through in the first three months of Barack Obama's presidency. That was... It was actually, it was pretty close to a trillion dollars. So we'll just, for the sake of argument, we'll call it a trillion dollars because it led to the first trillion dollar uh, de annual budget deficit. But it, land, it landed on the fiscal year 2008, even though it didn't pass until 2009. It didn't pass until Barack Obama was president of the United States. It was in the fiscal year 2008, which runs from September, well, it runs from yes, October 1st through September 30th every year. I don't know why. It just is that way. That's what the fiscal year is. So it went on George W. Bush's books, that trillion-dollar stimulus. Since there was a mild recession at the time, there was a dip in revenue to the federal government. That meant that there was also an uptick in the deficit that year. 
Then you throw on top of that a trillion dollars in stimulus money. This is what Barack Obama later said. Well, I guess uh, shovel ready wasn't as uh, shovel ready as we'd hoped. All of that money, that trillion dollars that Barack Obama and the Democrats spent went on George W. Bush's watch because of the way that the government runs their fiscal calendar. So then the following year, without some of that money, they, they ruled most of that in the baseline spending and just went through continuing resolutions, which kept that money. It, it, that's neither here nor there. There wasn't as much spending the following year because they, uh, the emergency spending the, was gone. It was a one-time deal for some of that money. So the deficit went down. It had nowhere to go but down. And Barack Obama did what? We have slashed the deficit. I am a hero. You caused the deficit. You don't get credit for setting the house on fire and then for putting it out. You're not a hero. You're an arsonist with a conscience or something. But, of course, politicians don't have a conscience. Joe Biden can claim credit for technically reducing the deficit this year because all the money he spent last year, which is on Donald Trump's last year, fiscal year, a lot of that is not being spent again. So technically, the government is spending less. Now, it doesn't have any of the money it's spending at all or most of the money it's spending at all anyway, but in a technical sense, he can say that this is correct. He should not get credit for it, however, because, oh, we got a, a trillion and a half dollar emergency COVID spending bill here. We got a trillion dollar this, that, and the other thing. Well, <clears throat> he wants to spend a whole hell of a lot more. They just passed another $1.5 trillion in emergency spending where nobody read the bill. Both Republicans and Democrats voted for it because both parties, when it comes to spending, are like Hunter Biden at a Coke and Hooker party. They can't get enough. They just go absolutely crazy. But you got to remember also that Joe Biden, to any extent that we are spending less money this year than last, is tempered by what? By the fact that his Build Back Better plan, in any form, thankfully, at least so far, has not come to pass. Originally, he wanted, what, $5 trillion in new spending. That would blow to hell the idea that he has cut spending in any way, shape, or form. So he's out there in Philadelphia talking to Democrats, trying to take credit for something that, quite honestly, Republicans prevented him from doing. He wants credit for cutting the budget deficit that the Republicans forced him to do. Think about that. This is how either delusional or dishonest Joe Biden is. There's no third options. Delusional or dishonest. Wall Street Journal actually editorialized about this more than a week ago because Joe Biden, in the State of the Union address, went around saying, where's slash the budget deficit? <laughs> The uh, editorial board of the Wall Street Journal on March the 2nd, their headline, Joe Biden tells a budget whopper. Subhead, the president claims to be the greatest deficit cutter in history. 
Presidents typically embellish their achievements during their State of the Union addresses, but President Joe Biden's pose as a budget deficit hawk is one for the ages. Quote, by the end of this year, the deficit will be down to less than half of what it was before I took office. <laughs> the only president ever to cut the deficit by more than $1 trillion in a single year. Oh, he's a hero. Just ask him. That assumes Congress doesn't enact his Build Back Better plan or more COVID relief he's asking for. He's also using the fiscal 2020 budget as his benchmark. Congress had passed $2 trillion in COVID relief in March 2020 to prevent a recession. Both parties piled on $900 billion more that December and Democrats in March of 2021 ladled on nearly $2 trillion more. All of that went on Donald Trump's last fiscal year. That last $2 trillion is, was not, he wasn't president of the United States at the time. He could have done nothing to stop it or anything, but he gets the blame for it because of the screwy way government does their books and the dishonest way the media reports on it. <laughs> so when you hear Joe Biden go, oh, we've cut the deficit. In the most technical of senses, the most technical of senses, that is remotely true. But there's a lot of garbage behind it. And don't ever lose sight of that garbage because they're in, that, that's where the Democrats live, is in that garbage. That's who they are, in that garbage. I just, uh, you'd think some of these people, somebody, would be an adult in the room, don't you? Wouldn't you hope that there'd be an adult in the room? And they just go, all right, let's just be honest. All right, we've got to get this under control. We've got to be a little bit smarter about this. I, I, I'm doing what I can, but I'm not doing a great... I don't expect the politician to even say that. He doesn't have to mention any of this stuff. That's the thing. He only mentions it so he can lie about it. Because the only positive way to mention any of this is to lie about it. And the media, save for the Wall Street Journal and this show, are the only places where you're going to go and you're going to hear, hey, uh, here's why, here's how. It's like punching your kid in the face three times a day, every day. And then one day you go uh, punch him twice and that's it. You, go, you know what? I just, I cut your punching by 33%. I'm a hero. Well, no. You're punching your kid twice a day. That's a problem. You shouldn't punch your kid at all. But no, you're doing it less means you're still an abuser. You cutting the deficit means you're still running up a deficit. You haven't eliminated the deficit at all, Joe. And you have no desire to eliminate the deficit at all. And quite frankly, as I look across the political spectrum, I think, first of all, there's no, not a single Democrat out there gives a damn about the budget deficit. Not a single one. But there also isn't really a Republican who gives a damn about it either. Some of them, well, that might not be true. I think a Rand Paul, a Mike Lee, some members of the House, they do actually care about it. I think a lot of them would happily set a huge pile of money. A lot of people who play pay lip service to this, would happily set a huge pile of money on fire for something they personally cared about, uh, but they're not in a position to do anything about it. 
These people are all various night watchmen on the Titanic who are too busy playing solitaire and patting themselves on the back to notice the giant freaking iceberg right ahead or care about the iceberg right ahead. That's what's terrifying is all of these people, when they ask, when you ask them, they will say, well, we've got to get spending under control. Inflation is a mechanism of government spending. It's not a mechanism of government spending per se. It's a mechanism of government printing money to cover government spending because there just isn't enough money to tax. There isn't enough people to tax without like literally taking everything that people have. So you sit there and you just make things worse and worse and worse. And they play that game of chicken I talk about where these politicians just, they know what they're doing is damn. They have to know, most of them. Maybe an AOC isn't smart enough to know. But most of them have to be smart enough to know that what they're doing is bad long term. They can see it. They can see the inflation right now. And they don't care. What they're really hoping is that it really doesn't come to a head until they're out of power, or at least until after the next election. After that, then they can do it. Then they'll come up with something else to blame or some way to do it. And some medicine we'll all have to take. It'll be a suppository and it'll be like, oh, we're new. We're going to have to, as a nation, we have to suffer. And like, well, as a political leadership, you're the only ones who benefited from the uh, ridiculous spending. The people you spent the money on were cronies. I guess they benefited. And you claim to have spent a bunch on the poor, but they're still poor. Uh, the $30 trillion we spent in the war on poverty has led us to just a slight decrease in the amount of poverty. Maybe you try a different tactic. It's weird because the war on drugs is a failure, they say, because people are still using drugs. But the war on poverty isn't a failure, at least the way we've been doing it after spending $30 trillion when we have roughly the same amount of poverty percentage-wise. Uh, they never make that connection. They never make that disconnect. They already got the poor's vote. They don't have to care about them. They want the uh, the drug dealers' vote. They want the drug users' votes. So they want to decriminalize. Anyway, that's a, a tangent for another day. But these people are all frauds, and they're all singing the same song, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter, until somebody actually cuts government spending. They actually cut government spending. Not even just a reduction in the amount of increase, which we're almost past the point. Ten years ago, Rand Paul had put forward a plan where you'd cut one penny from every dollar spent by government per year. You'd save a ton of money, and that would have had it off the coming financial collapse that was a bridge too far back then now it's too late one penny i don't think that would act fast enough i don't think it was, it's going to have to be more than that it's going to have to be two cents or three cents or whatever and if joe biden and the democrats keep spending money the way they want to spend money it's going to be four and five cents and you sit there and you go well four and five cents out of every dollar you'll notice it you'll notice it we're going to have to take our medicine sooner or later. And these politicians are hoping against hope that uh, they're gone, they're dead, they're retired or whatever when it all comes to pass. But you can enjoy the music only for so long before the piper demands to be paid. That's what we're facing. So Joe Biden can pat himself on the back all he wants about, oh, I've reduced the deficit. It's a lie. It's a lie. And he's going to use it as cover 
to try and spend more money. He's going to use it as cover to try and avoid doing what must be done so that whenever eventually the sooner or later, we're going to have to do something either because adults get in charge or the financial situation gets so out of control and so damaging to the American public that we have to do something. It would be nice if it was because the adults got in charge. I'm just looking at the political horizon and I don't see any. So buckle up, batten down the hatches, get ready for the, uh, the bad days that are ahead. Not tomorrow, but sooner or later. Changing it up, sports. We don't talk a lot about sports. We, you know, baseball's coming back. They're going to have a very abbreviated uh, spring training. I'm still not entirely sure what the, the lockout was about. I don't really care. Baseball is coming back. And then you wake up to the news that Tom Brady's coming back. And you're sitting there going, what? Wait, what? He, he retired 40 days ago. And that was it. I got to go back. I must. Is spending time with Giselle that much of a burden, Tom? Because I think there are about uh, 8 billion people, 4 billion men who would unburden you of that. I <laughs> just love it. He tweeted out, <clears throat> these past two months I've realized my place is still on the field and I am not, and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates and I love my supportive family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa. Unfinished business. LFG. <laughs> Barely retired. 40 days. Now look, when he retired, he, I thought, I kind of was a little suspicious, but okay, that's good. I, I was actually thinking, he's done it. I'd have thought he should have retired probably before his seventh Super Bowl victory. But, you know, he, he won the seventh Super Bowl. He made it to the playoffs. He almost made it to the Super Bowl. If he'd had a better game or his whole team would have had a better game, he could have maybe gotten to another Super Bowl. But I thought, you know what? You want to go out on top. So few athletes actually go out on top. So many of them stick around for whatever reason. They don't like their families or... They think I can do it again if I. They can't accept the uh, the ravages of time and age on their bodies and their skills or whatever the reason is. It doesn't really matter. So many athletes stick around long past when they should have. And I thought well, this is great. Think Joe Montana is. Uh, what did he go to become a chief? I think he was. And Brett Favre, wherever he went to the Vikings and. All these people that, you know, you'd have just been better off if you'd have just, you got enough money. You're, you're set. Your legacy would be better served by calling it a day. And I thought, well, Tom Brady did that. Tom, theoretically, he could have done that instead of leaving New England. He could have said, you know what, my whole career, New England, I'm done. I got six Super Bowls. That's enough. More than anybody. I'll see you guys later. But he, he wanted more. To his credit, he went out and got it. Still, you want to go out on top. He passed for more than 5,000 yards last year, which at his age is amazing. That's at the top of the game. That is an amazing feat for a quarterback at any age. So he's out on top. The NFL tweeted out the picture that 
40-plus TD passes in back-to-back seasons, second QB to do that in history. That was when he's in his 40s. 168 pass touchdowns since he turned 40 years old. He's at the top of his... He's as good as he ever was. Well, maybe not as good as he ever was, but he's pretty damn close to as good as he ever was. He could have gone away and said, all right, I'm going to now live the dream. I'm going to go coach. I'm going to do whatever the hell. I'm going to go enjoy my billions of dollars and my wife and kids. Instead, he's got to come back because he can't get away. Meanwhile, the other side of the uh, equation is a Colin Kaepernick who never was anywhere close to as good as Tom Brady. Never could have been as good as Tom Brady because he has to require, it requires too much work. And Colin Kaepernick was too much of an activist. Once he got the activist bug, he just kind of, football was something that enabled him to be an activist. I can make money from football and sports that will empower me to be more of an activist. Like, yeah, but not for long because you, you'll start to suck at sports. If you don't focus on it, it's a full-time thing. Well, he's out there desperately trying to make a comeback. Now, it's funny is there's no question that I don't know what I'd assume that the Buccaneers had some kind of plan for a post Tom Brady world. I don't know who their backup quarterback is or they drafted a quarterback or whatever, but I'd imagine that that person was thinking, I better bust my hump this offseason because I'm going to be the starter next year. Now Tom wakes up one day and goes, eh, I'm going back. And suddenly you're not the starter. It doesn't matter how good you were, how young you are. Tom Brady's coming back. Sit down, shut up. Kind of sucks to be that guy. But that's the way. Colin Kaepernick is out there for five years going, please pay attention to me. And nobody is. Because what Colin Kaepernick doesn't recognize is that they have paid attention to him. If there was any team out there that thought that they could win with Colin Kaepernick, the NFL is so woke that I'm sure that the NFL would have made it so easy to sign a Colin Kaepernick. And everybody looked at him and said, this is not the guy for us. He's toxic. He's annoying. He's demanding. And you can be toxic, annoying, and demanding if you can produce on the field. And he couldn't produce on the field. He can't produce on the field. He's not that good of a player. So he's tweeting out these pictures, still working. There's a video of him where he, he does that three-step drop I talked about. And then he runs off to the right and he throws the ball. And I'm like, okay, uh, what'd you throw it to? Did you hit them? Did you get it to them? Why didn't you show us that? Meanwhile, if you remember that stupid documentary that he'd made because every industry in the world throws money at some left-wing jackass who claims to care about racism, sexism, homophobia, whatever it is. Oh, I'm a hero. I'm standing up to the power structure. They threw a bunch of money at him. They let him make a uh, a documentary where he compared, and they haven't did a, I don't even know if it's out yet. They did a series on Netflix, I think it was, about his life. Oh, the young Colin, he's so wonderful. And he portrayed the NFL combine where the teams get together with all the players and they, they assess, can they run, they jump, how fast they are, what skills they bring to He compared that to slavery. And now Colin Kaepernick, a couple of months later, is going, please make me a slave again. Nobody wants you. Nobody likes you, Colin. And now ESPN, of course, he's making more money than he ever would playing football because he sucked at football. 
but Nike threw $10 million at him. And now ESPN is making a documentary about him. <laughs> and of course, uh, it is, uh, it's at least produced, if not directed as well, by Spike Lee. So you can think of just how good or bad or garbagey that's going to be. So it's it's a quite a tale of two different things that have nothing to do with skin color that will easily, by some leftists out there, be made to be about skin color. Colin Kaepernick is denied his chance to be in the NFL because of his skin color, whereas Tom Brady, the gates are kicked wide open for him. He is a hero because of his skin color. In reality, Colin Kaepernick is a failure as a football player because he sucks. Because he sucks at it. That's his problem, right? He's no good at it. When he was at his best, at the height of his powers, he's long since gone. Even At the height of his powers, he wasn't good enough. He's now 34 years old, and nobody wants him. Tom Brady's 43 years old, and there isn't a damn team in the league, I don't think, except for maybe the Chiefs, who wouldn't throw open the the floodgates and the, the Brinks trucks and go, please come here, Tom. Because Tom Brady at 43 had better stats than Colin Kaepernick at 24, than Colin Kaepernick ever could dream of having. And Colin Kaepernick's been, not only been out of the league for five years, he sat on his butt for like the last three years of his NHL or NFL career. That's how bad he was. So welcome back, Tom. For whatever reason you feel incomplete, I don't know. And maybe a marriage counselor would help. And Colin, go to hell. Nobody cares. You're not good enough. And the sooner you recognize that, the better off you'll be too. And the world couple last things here as we wrap it up. You, you really want to know how uh, big of a pit academia is these days. You have to look no further than Bridgewater State University. I know you're sitting there going, what the hell is Bridgewater State University? And I, I don't, I didn't know either. It's a college up in Massachusetts. They have a million little private and, and expensive liberal arts schools up there. And uh, this one's $18,000 a year. It's a bargain compared to some of the other garbage schools up in the region. But the, the Boston Globe reports about a professor, well, an employee, want prospective employee up there is now crying foul and should cry foul. Boston Globe story. Donna Johnston said she could hardly believe her ears. Did an interviewer just ask Johnston about her whiteness? Johnston, a licensed social worker from Plainfield, Connecticut, said she was floored by the question while interviewing to teach sociology at Bridgewater State University last summer, when she was also asked to contemplate, quote, your white privilege, end quote. Then in a follow-up, Johnston said she was told that, quote, Black students may not be able to relate to you because of your white privilege, end quote. All this sounds wildly illegal, doesn't it? Johnston, who didn't get the job, filed a race and employment discrimination lawsuit against the university last month, claiming that she was subject to a racist interview. 
She asserts her qualifications are superior to the three women who were hired for faculty posts at the School of Social Work and alleges her whiteness cost her her job. According to the university, race played no role or factor in hiring decisions. You, you kidding? You ask somebody to describe their whiteness? contemplate your white privilege and black students may not be able to relate to you because of your white privilege how stupid is this how perverted is this how far from where we should be as a species is this and could you think of a way to get any further i cannot this is exactly the left's mindset they look at you and you say well you are that skin color. Therefore, I make these assumptions about you. You are that gender. Therefore, I make these assumptions about you. You are that ethnicity. You are this, that, and the other thing. You're this sexual orientation. I make these assumptions about you. And if you stray from those assumptions, if you in any way, shape, or form let them down from those assumptions, you and not them and their bigotry are the problem. That's how sick these people are. It's how screwed up these people are to sit there and go, well, we're, we have to be very tolerant as a society. Let's get Condi Rice on the phone and see how tolerant you are of black people who dare stray from the thought plantation you have so carefully constructed for them. Can we do that? Can we do that? No, we can't do that. You don't want to do that, do you? We can get Clarence Thomas on the phone. Maybe he has some thoughts on this. No, no. You get Ginny Thomas on the phone as you hey, make your jihadist points to try and destroy my former colleague at the Heritage Foundation. Nope, can't do that. You won't do that. Not going to contemplate that. These people are evil and rotten to their very core. I don't know. I'm assuming, I mean, she's a social worker. She's trying to teach sociology. I suspect that Donna Johnston is I would not a conservative. Maybe she's down the middle of the road, but she is not a right winger. And here she is. Now, let's see. Johnson lacked experience and live classroom experience and failed to present herself as a stu as student focused, according to a 29 page position statement filed February 1st by the university with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. Before filing the lawsuit, Johnston had filed a complaint with the Massachusetts Commission Against Discrimination. It was withdrawn before there was a finding to pursue the lawsuit. Quote, any possibility of discriminatory motive is contradicted by the fact that the university ultimately hired two Caucasians, the college said in the statement. The third hire was a black woman. Now, you can't say this is the defense of I'm not a racist. I have black friends. Right. Isn't that the equivalent of that? You can't say we're we discriminated against her because she's white because we hired two white people. No, the discrimination is describe your white privilege. How are you going to flatulate yourself in front of the class over your white privilege? How can somebody who's black possibly relate to you? Maybe these other leftists say, well, I shall uh, forever be deferential to all black students. I shall forever uh, talk about how evil I and people who look like me are. Maybe that's what they said to get past their censors. Maybe the school's just racist. Why did they hire two white people and only one black person? What the hell? Where is the Hispanic in this equation? 
There are all sorts of questions that this leads to. It's so wildly stupid and offensive that I hope that this Donna Johnston's lawsuit goes forward and I hope she destroys this place. I've never heard of Bridgewater State University before. I hope to hear of Bridgewater State University two more times. One time being when they lose this lawsuit massively. I want to hear about it in the context of the size of the award. Remember, Oberlin got hammered because they'd turned on a bakery claiming that it was racist and they're still fighting that. But they got hammered and lost a huge amount, millions of dollars. They're fighting it because they say it'll ruin them. Good. So I want to hear of Bridgewater State University when they lose this because of the size of the award. Can you believe a $100 million reward for award for discrimination against Donna Johnston? And then I want to hear about Bridgewater State University one more time about how because of the massive award to Donna Johnston for their discriminatory practices that the college is going to have to close its doors once and for all. Examples have to be made, ladies and gentlemen. Prices have to be paid. There has to be consequences for this sort of bigotry. If people's lives are ruined because of tweets they put out as teenagers, then damn it, somebody needs to seriously pay a price for this sort of bigotry. It's the only way to stop this kind of bigotry. This is normal. You think this is a ridiculous question. Just justify your whiteness. How do you deal with your white privilege? It's stupid, dumbass questions. You're right. But it's not enough to just sit there and go, God, these are stupid, dumbass questions because they are now the norm and they're becoming even more and more the norm. They need to be stamped out and destroyed. Period. End of story. Lastly today, there's a shocking bit of news. Uh, actor William Hurt died. Apparently he had prostate cancer, didn't tell anybody and kept it secret and passed away at the age of 71. He's been in a ton of stuff. Great actor. He will be missed. He was most recently in, he was a general in the, uh, I think he then went on to play Secretary of State Ross in the Marvel movies. But he's been in everything. The big chill is when the baby boomers will know. All kinds of stuff. Passed away far too young. Get your exams, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't, I, I'm looking at his, his IMDB page. Dude has done a lot, a lot of great work. Rest in peace, William Hurt. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for the use of your ears. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow. 